Welcome to episode three of the Spinster Life podcast. I'm Eva. And I'm Amy. Today, we have a very uh, judicial spinster that we'd like to talk about. Well, Amy, there's so many options. <laughs> yeah, there are so, so, so many options. Just, <laughs> women are so, so, so represented in our judicial system. So I, I wanted to do this episode because uh, we recently lost Ruth Bader Ginsburg, which was just gutting. I, I almost cried in a Ralph's. Like, I mean, I usually cry when I'm in Ralph's. <laughs> <laughs> but Ruth Bader Ginsburg was not a spinster. She had a very long and happy marriage to Mr. Mr. RBG. Yes, Mr. RBG. No, but he's he sounded awesome and I'm glad I'm glad she had that. Yeah. Me too. Um and we also uh, have uh Sonia Sotomayor who is single, but she was married. So oh, I don't okay. I for this for the purposes of our podcast, I don't consider her a spinster. And then uh I just I don't even want to talk about the new justice. Obviously married. Would be against Two. God's will to not be married. <laughs> All right, so Good tell choice. me about Elena Kagan because honestly, I don't, I don't know anything about. Her. I would be more than happy to. I didn't know that much about her before I did the research for the show. She's so fucking cool. Awesome. Uh, she is the fourth female justice appointed to the Supreme Court. She is an Obama nominee. Okay, her resume is just thick. She just got like a meaty, meaty resume. She is highly educated. She has done all of the jobs that you're supposed to do. She clerked for justice in the Supreme Court. She was in private practice. She has been a government lawyer. Why are you telling me, Amy, that she was actually qualified? Oh, my God. She is so qualified. <laughs> she, yes. <laughs> but this is an Obama nominee. This is when they nominated people that were qualified oh, for government positions. Okay. Yes. Right. And Clinton. Actually, she worked in the Clinton administration as oh. well. I would describe her as like a worker bee. She's like all into hard work and getting shit done. So she was actually kind of controversial when she was nominated because people had an issue with her being a single childless woman. Really? It's they did. When I used to work at law firms, it was it was kind of implied that for people to make partner that they they want that stability. They want you to be married and they feel that marriage, you know, lends to that stability and you being, I don't know, adulty. Yeah. And also senators thought that she wouldn't be able to be impartial in cases that involve the workplace because as a woman with quote unquote no family, she would treat her coworkers like a family. So there she wouldn't be able to be impartial. And then she wouldn't also be able to weigh in on cases about children or parenting or anything like that. We don't do our research, but if we did, I wonder if it would have disclosed if there were single men that have ever been Supreme Court justices. There, yes, there was one. And also, same thing. They, Oh, really? Yes. In his confirmation hearings, they called him creepy. They thought he was creepy because he didn't have, he wasn't married and he didn't have children. And then also, because she's not married, her sexual preference, of course, came into play. Because obviously, if you're not married to a man, you're a lesbian, right? She was nominated in... In more recent years, I feel like it's not 1830. Right. But so there were people on both sides of that. There were people that were upset because, you know, oh, obviously she's gay. And then there were people on the other side who were like, oh, if you have a gay Supreme Court justice, why aren't, why isn't she out? Why isn't she out? You know why she's not out? Because (laughs) she's she's not not gay. gay. (laughs) Coming out should only be about the person coming out. Yeah. Don't, don't out people. Don't right. don't out people. And if you're saying that someone can't do their job because of their sexual orientation, 
that's there are literally laws against that. that there say are. You can't you can't uh, refuse to hire someone because of their sexual orientation. So let's not be judgy and let's learn a little bit more about Elena. I like it. Uh, so she was born in April 24th, 1960. At the time she was appointed, she was one of the younger justices. She's not anymore because we have crybaby Kavanaugh and what's her fucking face. But <laughs> at the time, she was uh, the youngest justice. Amy Coney, not qualified Barrett? Yeah. 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 So her dad was a housing lawyer. Okay. And her mom was an elementary school teacher. Oh. And both of these things came together in her life later on because she... Went to law school, obviously. And then she also taught at uh, very prestigious universities. Oh, okay. So there was uh, one story about her childhood that I thought was great. It says a lot about her personality. So she's Jewish, and the rabbi at her temple didn't want to do a bat mitzvah. They'd never done a bat mitzvah, which is the bar mitzvah for women. You know, I read about this very recently, that especially in more conservative Jewish circles, that, like, Bat mitzvahs aren't a thing. It's still only something that boys get. I don't like that. No, that's some bullshit. That's some bullshit. Yeah. Thank God for reform. And thank God for Lena Kagan, who went into her rabbi and was like, no, we're doing this. Oh, wait. She I adjudicated don't... her own bat mitzvah. <laughs> I love it. She's just like, I turned 13 too. This is happening. I love it. So she went to Hunter College High School in New York, which was very prestigious. So she was on track to become this very scholarly, learned individual. Yeah, so right from the the beginning. Right from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like she's got examples in her household of mom being a teacher. Like, obviously, they value education and and probably promote that within the household. And dad, if dad's a housing lawyer, I mean, when you're saying housing lawyer, that kind of makes me think he's he maybe worked in in almost the civil rights side of housing. I didn't research it because that's what I assumed. Yeah. I could, we could, well, I could it's just the way you would say it because you're not saying like property law. You're not saying like landlord tenant, right? Where you can yeah. have both sides. You're saying housing. So it's kind right. of like maybe dad instilled that idea that like you have to fight for what you believe in. It was destined to be. I think so. So she went to Princeton University first. Fancy. Uh, she went to Oxford and then she went to Harvard Law School. So, Elena, you're really disappointing me. <laughs> it's like the the ASU of the, uh, <laughs> the Ivy League. So yeah, she did she did all the law things. She clerked for Supreme Court Justice Thurgood Marshall. Wow. So she's doing you know she's doing all the things that you need to do. And Thurgood Marshall definitely one of the standouts in terms of the history of the Supreme Court. We're not talking some justice you've never heard of, like Thurgood Marshall was huge in the civil rights era. Definitely keeping on that trajectory, Thurgood Marshall makes sense. First of all, there's hardly any job that's harder to get than to be a clerk for a Supreme Court judge, except for maybe being an actual Supreme Court judge. (laughs) A lot of that goes through recommendations. You go through a lot of interviews. It's like any other job. It's really the people you know and the recommendations and... um, what people think about you and kind of the word on the street. Right. Um, your reputation. Your reputation, what your professors have to say about you, um, that sort of thing. And a lot of judges come out of um, teaching. And even when they uh, become Supreme Court justices, a lot of them actually teach during the summers and things. We had that at my law school where um, you could like go to Europe or something. I don't know if you had a lot of money. You could go to <laughs> Europe for the summer and be taught some obscure human rights law session by a Supreme and as sitting Supreme Court justice. Oh. So 
um, yeah, they're very entwined in judicial education. That, and that is Lena Kagan's path, actually. So she started out as a professor at the University of Chicago Law School, where she met Obama. They were professors together. Also, University of Chicago Law School, like, she's, she's staying in that upper echelon. I mean, University of Chicago Law School is right up there with Yale and Harvard, for sure. Well, and you say Harvard. And then her next step was Harvard. She became the dean of Harvard. Oh. Yeah. Girl. She was the first female dean of Harvard Law School. Yeah, she doesn't have time for tender. This makes no sense. Right? (laughs) She was busy. She's been busy working her ass off. So she also um, was associate White House counsel and a policy advisor under Bill Clinton. And then she was nominated to the United States Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit. Uh, She didn't get that, but still. That's often a path to the Supreme Court, though, is being nominated to that circuit. Um, So that makes a lot of sense. It seems clear to me that that's kind of, if it wasn't the path that she had in mind, it was a path that others had in mind for her. Yeah. Because all this kind of is pointing to the same destination. Yeah. Yeah. It was meant to be. She's been working for this her whole life. Very cool. Um, So in 2009, her friend Obama nominates her to be the first female solicitor general of the United States. Because it's who you know. Yeah, that's what friends are for. That's what friends are for. That's what highly educated, brilliant friends are for. And then not that long after that nomination, he nominated her to the Supreme Court to fill the vacancy when Justice John Paul Stevens retired. And uh, she was, it's, I guess, like, what, that 10 years ago? Her confirmation was 63 to 37. Yeah, that doesn't happen now. That doesn't happen now. Yeah. Um, I think part of it is because she is, uh, she, she makes a lot of statements about being nonpartisan. Yeah. Her job is not politics. Well, it's highly respected. And I know that we don't really care about respect anymore, <laughs> but we did for a really long time. And the good thing with the judiciary is, is a lot of the time it has been able to avoid the partisanship that the rest of our branches don't really get to do. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. And John Paul Stevens was known for kind of being a little bit more on the moderate side. Um, he was more on the liberal side of the court, but definitely more of a moderate. And in that all is things. actually pretty much how Elena Kagan is described. She is liberal, but definitely more moderate. Yeah. Um, and she does reach across the aisle because one thing that she did when she was in the Supreme Court is she would go hunting with Antonin Scalia. That's badass. <laughs> First, let me tell you a funny story. <laughs> um, Scalia came to my law school when I was still a student, and I had this very awkward um, curb your enthusiasm moment <laughs> when um, I was exiting the elevator and Justice Scalia was entering the elevator and neither of us were looking up, or we kind of did like a run into each other with our mid parts. <laughs> Oh, it was almost like a meet cute. Yeah, you had a meet cute with Anton and Scalia I, in the I elevator. I did. I did. <laughs> I, I think we were both a little embarrassed. It was also like no. if I was going to belly bump with a with a justice was not my first choice. No, um, but he was he was known for being very uh, likable, very charismatic. Actually, like had a lot of friends on the le- this on the left. Um, so that does not surprise me. And that also speaks to her and the fact that um, 
she was there to do her job. She wasn't there yeah. to push forward a specific political agenda. No. In fact, she tried hunting. Like She wasn't a hunter before she, she was on the Supreme Court. It was to prove to the gun nuts that like, okay, like, look, I'm not anti-gun. I'll go hunting. Yeah. Having an open mind is um, perhaps one of the most respectable things about being a Supreme Court justice. And then I guess, you know, she picked up a new hobby. Go hunting with your neighbor's friends. Across the aisle. Maybe that's what needs to happen to, like, unite the government. We all go try to kill things together? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Except not each other, just, like, little things. ducks or whatever. Yeah. A lot of things you can hunt. Just go kill some fowl. <laughs> Makes sense. She kind of got thrown into the deep end when she joined the Supreme Court. Her first case was Citizens United. Wow. Yeah. All right. That's one of those cases Dum Dum's like me know about. Her first uh, oral argument was Cooper versus Harris, which was about North Carolina gerrymandering, basically saying that North Carolina was drawing their precincts based on racial lines. Light so this stuff. Is, yeah, just light stuff. <laughs> so this is like... And, and I uh, I listened to an interview with her, and yeah. I can link to it in the show notes, where she's talking about, like, how she was nervous. Where her nerves would have come in was that's when you're looked at as a Supreme Court justice in terms of what kind of questions you're going to ask. Like, are your questions smart? Are they insightful? You know, it really gives people a window into how your brain works. It's kind of like your first opportunity to pe- for people to either give you the seal of approval to kind of pounce on you and say you're not ready for this okay all right well i think she passed with flying colors so she's apparently settled into her role in the supreme court she's gotten over her nerves because um i don't there's a a website somewhere where they track the laughs that each justice gets that's amazing yeah she is one of the top maybe like third you know and when you're dealing with issues that can become very technical the fact that she's one of these people who clearly keeps the morale up for the rest of her colleagues um, and for the people who are invested in the case on either side, like that speaks a lot to her character. She's a very like clear, precise writer. Uh, I did read part of her written argument for uh, Cooper versus Harris and a dumb dumb like me could understand it. All right. So she wrote the majority opinion in that case. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And especially because when you are writing the, the opinion of the majority in a case. Essentially, that's the precedent that is going to stand until and if something else comes along. So when she is writing that opinion, that is something that our children will be relying on in terms of precedent. And well, not not our children. Not, but Not our children. <laughs> children of people who, who like to breed. <laughs> I mean, I think to that point, too, that, like, because it's so clear, there's not going to be any, any of this... What did she mean by that? Yeah. There's nothing more important as a lawyer, especially in that specific job, than being a clear, concise writer. So she did describe her own writing in an interview as uh, conversational, but not informal. And so dum-dums like me can understand and read and, and learn about what the fuck is happening in the country. And if you're someone who just likes to have a lot of fun on a Saturday night, you can go to the United States Supreme Court website and read her opinions. You sure can. You sure can. I did. It's Amy certified. (laughs) Despite her displaying that she is a very competent judge who rules fairly in cases and listens to evidence and people aren't listening to her. We talked a little bit before about people questioning her choices about not getting married. Haters gonna hate. Haters gonna hate. People be hating. People be hating. It's not right. 
So I think this is just like a, a really out there example of the way unmarried women are treated in the workplace. Yeah, just let it go. Like, why do we care? Right, we shouldn't care. It doesn't matter. You don't bring your spouse to work with you. You shouldn't bring your your home life to your workplace. Right, right. So why, so why does it matter what that life looks like? Right. If your personal life isn't supposed to affect how you rule on cases, then your personal life shouldn't affect how you rule on cases. Right. If your personal life is, you know, whether you're married and have children or you don't, it should be irrelevant. As a Supreme Court justice, you're using precedent set by other justices. Right. You're using reason and rationality yes. and education, and understanding of jurisprudence. Not your gut feeling or, like, your experience, like, with a 2 a.m. blowout diaper. Like, yeah. that doesn't that doesn't factor no. in. Yeah, I don't really get how it would. Mm-mm. I don't no. either. Except you'd be more tired than the other justice who did not have children. Earlier you had mentioned that before she was seated that one of the main things that people really went after her for was the fact that she was not married um, and that she did not have children. Let's get deeper into that um, being that this podcast is about being spinsters. Yeah, let's do it. What Elena Kagan was facing, it was kind of what all women in the workplace face. She's, she's fighting this universal battle of judgment of women's choices. Right. Yeah, exactly. If you're a mom, maybe you leave work too early. If you're not a mom, then, you know, you're You're just a climber. Yeah. Uh, The New York Times actually did a piece on this. There's a couple really great quotes that I thought kind of summed it up. So I'm going to read right from something because I haven't haven't read right from something. It's been too long. It's been way too long. Deborah Rode, director of the Center on Legal Profession at Stanford Law School, said... Such stereotypes about unmarried women are unfair, but common, given society's double standard when it comes to single women in work. She said she got a phone call last week from a reporter questioning whether Miss Kagan was equipped to rule in workplace issues, considering that she had never had children. Miss Rode said, I didn't think you actually needed to be a mother to appreciate the challenges facing working mothers. Uh, she continues, I do think it's a step back if we start to penalize women for not making the conventional choice. She could have just mic dropped right there. Yes. Mm-hmm. Women shouldn't be penalized for making the quote-unquote normal choice, the heteronormative choice, or a different choice. Um, there was another quote from this article that uh, Deborah Rode made. I resist the notion that the only way to be happy in the world is you have to be married. We want a world where people can make a variety of choices and be happy. If there was one way to be happy, everyone would do it. If getting married and having children was the, the, capital T-H-E, only way to be happy, then everyone who was married and has children would be happy. Now, let's ignore for a minute that there have been studies that show that single (laughs) women who are not married, do not have children, are actually the happiest demographic. Let's just ignore that. Yeah, we can ignore that. Let's just ignore science. It's been a theme of 2020, so let's just ignore it for a minute. I mean, the fact is, people are different. And if the same thing worked for all of us, we'd all do the same thing. And there would no be there would be no divorce. There would be no abandoned children. There would be there would be no need for therapists because people wouldn't hate their parents. <laughs> Unhappiness keeps the economy going, people. <laughs> like, yeah, with all these decisions, like you are meeting society's expectations and judgments on a daily basis. But I think the ones that really get you are the ones within your smaller circles, right? Of your colleagues, 
of your family, of your closest friends, you know? So I don't think Elena would be where she is if she hadn't had a support system. Support system supports your decisions, you know, whether they agree with it or not. You know, her mother maybe does not agree with her decision to not get married. Really? Yeah. A woman who lived in Elena Kagan's mother's apartment building approached uh, Elena Kagan's mother and congratulated her when Elena became the dean of Harvard Law School and just said, you know, congratulations, you must be so happy. Um, And her mom just said, yeah, but I really wish she were married. And in some ways, I get what she's saying. She is, she, she wants her daughter to be happy because she was married and she was happy. Obviously, that's the right choice. And, you know, you know how moms can be. They want grandchildren and all of that. Moms got to be moms. Moms be momming. And moms be momming. And think about it. I mean, the type of woman Elena Kagan clearly is, like, you have to be one hell of a man or woman to, like, meet that. How? How? Yeah, how? How? Who was her equal or her better? And she's too busy to. Right. She doesn't have time. She doesn't have time. She doesn't have time for this. No. She mm-hmm. is getting shit done. Yeah. Well, it almost does seem like frivolous when you're, you're looking at someone like Elena Kagan and people are like, why aren't you dating? Aren't you seeing anyone? And she's like, I'm sorry. I'm busy keeping the democracy of America afloat. Elena Kagan is doing something incredibly important, right? And they want her to take time to go find a man or a woman if she, I mean, she said she's not gay, so I'm just going to say a man. Find a man, have some babies, raise those babies, do all of these other things. And let's, let's be honest, like, we're straight women. There, we know what's involved in that, right? That, that your hair might come into play, makeup may come into play. There are all these things that may come into play in the, you know, the peacock dance that we do as humans for one another. Like, people, we need to get our priorities in order. Yeah. Elena Kagan does not need to get her priorities in order. They are in order. They are ordered. Yeah, we talked about uh, we talked about how her writing, but she's also said some smart shit. So I think it's time for some quotes. It's quote time. It's quote time. I thought I liked this one. Uh, to study something is not to endorse it. I think that like, is so smart. Like yeah. I think, especially right now, because we all get in our like little vacuum of of news. Yeah, you know, it slants whatever whatever way your politics are. I mean, I turned the channel to Fox News multiple times this week, you know, and I probably should have done it a lot more over the past year. You know, I do have family members that support Trump. And especially with what's going on in this country, we would all do a lot better if we were to do that. If we were to, you know, study other things and see other perspectives. And even though we may not agree with those perspectives, just to get a a better look inside at where that's coming from. Yeah. Yeah. So smart. Um, about her childhood. Uh, it was a very cool thing to be a smart girl, as opposed to some other different kind. And I think that made a great deal of difference to me growing up and in my life afterward. Had her priorities straight and clearly had the right kind of people around her. Who didn't say like, mm, you're so pretty when you put on makeup. Right. Right. Or just like to celebrate smart girls. It's like why all this STEM stuff is so cool. Like, yeah. Women will stay in science and technology if they are told that they have a place there. She's a role model. She is in a very, very powerful position. And she's showing that women can be in a powerful position and handle it superbly. Superbly. Yes. Yeah. 
I just get calm vibes from her. Yeah. She's very nice. Yeah, we need more people like Lena Kagan. Yeah. Uh, and then the last quote. I think this kind of sums her up. I have no regrets. I don't believe in looking back. What am I proudest of? Working really hard and achieving as much as I could. Because she achieved a lot. Yeah, she's still going strong. She's only 60. She looks much younger than that. So I think... Yes, she does. She'll, she does. She'll be around for a while. So what did we learn from Elena? I feel like for her, the love of her life is her work. The love of your life doesn't have to be a person. It doesn't have to be a person. You can love your career. You can love your career. It's okay. It's, it's okay, okay to do that. Uh, well, thank you, Elena. Thank you, Elena Kagan. So we've talked a lot about why she's single. Eva, why are you single? Uh, you know, um, maybe politics. <laughs> <laughs> I w- cannot date. Uh, I mean, I could, but I will never um, date someone who has has differences of opinion and vastly different from my own when it comes to politics. I would never date someone who voted for Trump unless that person maybe had like a come to Elena Kagan moment. <laughs> like, <laughs> like they apologized. That was a bad idea. Well, not necessarily apologize to me, but who really um, looked at why they made that choice. And, um, you know, I believe people can grow and evolve. So I'm not saying would never happen, but it's highly unlikely. Mm. By I mean, like 99.9% unlikely. So I'm going to go with, uh, with politics. What about you, Amy? Why are you single? Um... I am incapable of living with another human being. (laughs) Um, You could be like Diego Rivera and Frida Kahlo, and you could live (gasps) in a house next door, and you could have one of those little, like, raised, one of those walkways they have in hospitals now between, you know, like a a glass walkway. Breezeway or a jazz. Yes. Breezeway. Mm. Breezeways are sexy. I love it. (laughs) I really want a breezeway now. I'm not great at compromising. Mm-hmm. In, in spatially, spatially, like I don't want. Yeah, I don't want to give yeah. someone a drawer. Yeah, I don't want to like. I don't want to have to fit someone else's well, belongings. That's why into you my... move into a new place and get extra drawers, get a second set of drawers, a but, new bureau. But then, like, I still don't get to decide how all of the drawers are used. Well, I just guess you're going to I... either have to be a spinster forever, or uh, learn to date betas. <laughs> I wonder which option I'm going to choose. All right. Until next time, thanks for listening to the Spinster Life Podcast. You can find us on Instagram at Spinster Life Podcast. If you like this episode, please recommend us to your friends. We will even let them listen if they're married. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time. Bye. Bye.